Welcome to the PCA Power of Positive podcast powered by Tapivo. I'm Jason Sachs, PCA's Vice President for Business Development and Philanthropy. Thanks to Tapivo for their support of this podcast series. Tapivo is a new platform that is America's youth sport directory. You can use Tapivo to find, review, and back youth sports organizations near you. To learn more about Tapivo, visit tapivo.com. Today's guest on the podcast is Jeremy Goldberg, the president of League Apps. If you're in the youth sports world, you've probably heard of League Apps, or you may even have your league site run by League Apps. Uh, really good conversation with Jeremy about the business of youth sports, where he thinks youth sports is headed. And we also talk about some of the uh, things that League Apps does internally um, that allows them to have such a great organizational culture. Uh, we'll have a nice behind the scenes look at um, what they're doing at League Apps and why it's such a great place to work. So really good conversation with Jeremy. I know you'll enjoy it. So thanks so much for tuning into the Power of Positive podcast. And now Jeremy Goldberg from League Apps. Welcome to the PCA Power of Positive podcast. This is Jason Sachs, uh, lucky enough to have Jeremy Goldberg, the president of League Apps, with me this morning. So, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Jason. Yeah, so um, for those people that might be um, unaware of League Apps, quick highlight of, of what League Apps is. Yeah, so League Apps really started with this idea that um, those that are organizing sports, um, people running leagues and club teams and tournaments and camps and clinics, uh, they're the, the central um, kind of operators um, within the youth sports landscape. And our goal is really to set out to put them in a position to deliver the best kinds of sports experiences, which really means making their operations great and really enabling them to engage with parents and players and coaches in a way that, that, that really enriches the sports experience. And so that's what League Epps sets out to do. It's a platform that really makes sports seamless. Everything from registration to payments to management communications and really acts as that hub that connects to everything else that they need to do that allows them to, um, to make sports happen. And uh, we also believe, though, it's not just about the technology. It's really about the community that we can create with them that uh, allows them to understand the best practices and the training and the development that they need um, to really uh, adapt to the, the youth sports industry that's emerging. And so as, a, as far as a scale and reach standpoint right now, on the website it says 10,000 sports organizers, 6.6 6 million programs registered over the last seven or eight years. So what's, talk about your growth and who are the main, you know, is there one sport that you guys are working with more or how, how do things work that way? Yeah, I think one of the things we've, we've prided ourselves on is trying to identify the most uh, enterprising entrepreneurial organizations within youth sports. Uh, and that's really team sports. So mm -hmm. lacrosse, and baseball, and basketball, uh, soccer, yeah. volleyball, uh, now increasingly hockey. And, and our view is that, if, 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 that I think we've really been able to build up a really substantial market share um, for those most enterprising organizations. And I think it's because we believe they're the, the ones that are going to be shaping youth sports in the future. Um, so, you know, whether you measure our reach by the 8 million um, users in our platform uh, or measure our reach by the, the, the approaching billion dollars transactions in our platform, uh, I think we've been able to, I think, establish, um, I think, make a significant mark on, on youth sports, and we're just getting started. Yeah. And so... Speaking of just getting started, um, you know, I've been on the speaking tour with you several uh, for right. several years now. We're, we're competing and, free moderators. Right, exactly. And um, so know a little bit about your growing up in youth sports in Dallas and, um, you know, 
the youth sports culture and landscape is completely different than it was when we played. And you think about like the seasonality of it and just the, you know, the rec programs versus the, you know, quote unquote elite or travel programs now, um, you know, what are the, the, maybe the pluses and the minuses of where we are today from where we were, you know, 25, 30 years ago when yeah. it comes to youth sports? Yeah, I think the, the first thing I'd say is, you know, I think about my own youth sports yeah. experience personally. Uh, I like to jokingly say when I was dominating the JCC sports scene <laughs> in the 1980s. Um, and my dad was my coach, right. and we were probably playing 75 to 100 bucks. And I was playing basketball, and I was playing baseball, and uh, football, and, um, and eventually volleyball. And had this great experience of playing these sports. And, you know, there was a couple of my friends that were really incredible athletes that were on this kind of travel team that no one quite knew what it was. Right. And so there was a stretch of the year where they were, they were playing in different, different kind of programs than we were. Um, but, but my experience was, was really governed by a, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of kind of around volunteer coaches. My dad was watching Tom Amansky videos right before <laughs> practice, and that's where he was kind of developing whatever we were going to do in baseball practice that day and bribing people with baseball cards and right. how long you could sit against the fence for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, it was a, but, but I learned, I think, a lot of valuable lessons about working as part of a team and, uh, and, uh, and, and how to work with diverse teammates and um, you know, how to, to overcome adversity. I think the other thing I remember about those times was um, there was very un- a lot of unstructured play where I would pop, get on my bike and ride down the block with my friends and we would invent new games or we would play wiffle ball in my backyard where there was a f- fence that was like a perfect size fence for us to play. Um, when we spray painted the strike zone against the wall, we should have right. asked for permission for that. But, um, but that was part of that experience. And I think what, what's happened is that youth sports was this, I think, very much a community institution and it's now become an industry. Right? Yeah. And whether you, that's not a, a positive or negative statement. To me, it's just a fact right. that, that, that when you have upwards of $70 billion, when you really account for all the different aspects of spending that's taking place connected to the youth sports ecosystem, that's just in the U.S. alone, it's become this business. Yeah. And so as a result of that, I think there, there creates opportunity for professionalization and scale. Um, where we see this with some of the larger organizations we run with, the commitment they, they place in culture and in training and in certification, um, the, the sophisticated ways in which they um, communicate with, with um, their, um, uh, the parents and the participants in their programs, even the way that they think about technology. Where uh, I, I can think of a terrific volleyball program in, um, in Virginia who uses over 30 different technologies that are all plugged wow. into our system as part of the operations of those programs. And so I think there's a lot of positive aspects that come with that, that kind of uh, scale and that kind of yeah. approach. At the same time, I think that um, there are other implications as well. I think that there's uh, many kids that are not in the right place within that ecosystem, in some cases because they can't afford it. Uh, I think the stats of uh, kids in household uh, that have incomes of less than 25000 more than now two-thirds are not playing sports, and that's a number that's been increasing. And obviously those that have means are, are playing more sports than ever and spending more money than ever. And at the same time, also, it's the question of choices within that system. So there are a lot of kids that are specializing earlier than they probably should, and, um, and it's hard for parents to kind of navigate the choices. And so I think we're in this moment of transition. And ultimately, I think if we can try to influence this transition so that those organizations committed to doing the right things um, and, and focused on um, you know, the best outcome for kids, at the same time with sustainable business models, I think those are the ones that, that I think we're bettering on and trying to influence to, to try to help to help the youth sports of the future. Yeah, and one thing that um, I think a trend that you touched on is just the the travel programs have become, you know, it's almost like playing rec sports is just, you know, it's like a bad, you know, it's like, oh, you're only playing rec, right. like how come you're not playing travel? Right. And this whole industry around travel and tournaments and 
you know, um, I think I, the first time I saw this stat was in a presentation that you gave around like the number of vaca- family vacations that are now planned around, yeah. you know, tournaments. And just so just talk about the, you know, where we're going with the overhaul, like the tournament and the mm-hmm. tournament vacation of youth sports. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a couple of different things that you said that, that were important to unpack. The, the first is what's happening with recreational sports. And I think often travel and club, that, that world, or some people call it the competitive club landscape, uh, sometimes it's a little bit of a boogeyman, right, in yeah. terms of people talking about this. And, and one is, I think, rather than simply say, okay, this is this negative, and the world we came from the positive, it, it, it's, you're putting a genie back in the bottle. And, right. and actually what I see is that the most successful organizations that are scaling the most, that run more of these kind of for-profit um, kind of club and travel programs, are actually ones that are actually running lots of recreational programs as part of what they do. They're higher price recreational programs, but they're not just catering to the elite. I think one of the ways they've gotten the scale is that, that there's really a home for any kid within their programs, and yet they're getting the benefit of, I think, a lot of sophisticated operations. So, so one is that you have, on one, on one hand, this rec, the, the kind of traditional recreational program that was happening in the context of nonprofits. Those organizations, I think, have been hurt. Yeah. And there's a role and importance, I think, of technology and training and the role that PCA has to really help elevate those programs as other organizations with more resources have emerged. And the same time, as, what, as the rise of these large club and travel programs have emerged, um, that's necessitated, one, the rise of large tournament. Because if all of a sudden, if I'm in these club and travel programs and I'm playing less in leagues and more in right. tournaments, I now need tournaments that can accommodate 50 different teams right. within my ecosystem. And so now you have the rise of these mega tournament operators. Yeah. And then because you have large tournament operators, then you put places to play. So you have the rise of these mega tournament facilities that emerge as well. Where I think a lot of this stuff will evolve is, is parents raising their hand and saying, wait a second. I can't travel every weekend. Um, the amount of money I'm spending is tremendous. And so, um, you know, is there ways of creating that club kind of uh, more competitive experience closer to home, right? Are there more club leagues that emerge as opposed to purely the tournament ecosystem? So I think you're going to see different kinds of models evolve. evolve. And I certainly also think the ways that professional leagues and teams are getting involved are also, I think, trying to, to influence the ecosystem in a way that becomes a little bit more sustainable for families. Yeah. The only thing I'll share is that the, the, if you if you actually are noticing it, there's a... I guess the term cognitive dissonance in, in psychology, where if you, you, your brain doesn't process information to save, you spare all the decisions you make unless it's on your mind. But once you, you start to wrestle with this idea of youth sports travel, and then you go to the airport thinking about it, you will look around and all you will see are kids that are traveling in, in the context of tournaments. And so I ended up on the back of an airplane flying to Cleveland one weekend, and uh, I was flying with my daughter for the first time, and I was very nervous. She was right. one and a half years old. And... Uh, there was this discussion that happened in the back because there was a couple of um, uh, fathers that were flying with their sons. And uh, the stewardess came over and they were talking. And it turns out they were leaving. This was a Friday morning. They were missing school because they were flying to um, Ohio to go to LeBron James basketball tournament. They are flying as a basketball team. And so she started talking about, well, she last weekend went to a volleyball tournament with her daughter and they were in Atlanta. And he was like, well, I've traveled through the past four weekends and naming their cities. <laughs> and before you knew it, there's like 10 people in the back of the plane that were all turning around talking about youth sports. So I raised my hand and started asking questions, and they're like, well, your daughter seems a little young to be right. playing. I was like, actually, this is my business. I'm really trying to influence where eSports is going. They're like, yeah. well, this is the business I want to, can we work you? Like, what's going on? Because right. yeah. the impassion the the, right. and yeah. the commitment yeah. they had was tremendous. And to me, it was just a glimpse of uh, the amount of, of activity that's happening, um, in which this is, again, becoming this industry. And, and, and I think there's just important ways that that industry needs standards and uh, the right kind of actors in it. Yeah. yeah, and you said something earlier about, you know, putting the genie back in the bottle, and, and it's something that... Like we discuss at PCA, like we're never going to go back to right where it was. So how can you know things like what League App is doing? How can PCA 
be a part of that ecosystem of tournaments. And we have a lot of great partners that say, hey, we're going to have teams here for four or five days. We need off the field or off the court yep. programming. And our parents are, parents are coming in here for a week. Like, we need to let them know what the expectations are. And, you know, so anything from what we do with the Junior NBA and their World Championships to other, you know, Baseball Heaven and some of the, the National Youth Baseball Championships that they run. So I think that's where, you know, we need to continue to evolve is that, Yes, we're going to still do a lot of programming with your, right. you know, youth baseball organization and, you know, more traditional, right. but there's this whole other part of the youth sports landscape that still needs to, you know, make sure that people are being held accountable and you're setting the right expectations and those types right. of things. So, Well, one, one thing that I think, and I go, go back to my background previously where I spent time trying to resolve the Arab-Israeli conflict, and if you're in the business of Middle East peacemaking, you have to look for the opportunities because if you are only looking at the, 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 all the things that are going wrong, wrong right. you're going to be stuck, yeah. right? And I think what, what you're saying is, and, and I think you named two partners of ours in yeah. Baseball Heaven and the Junior NBA and, and the incredible work that they do, you have these experiences that are being created. And so how can those creative experiences be an opportunity to develop life skills, be an opportunity to develop education for parents, uh, be an opportunity for kids to, to understand community and engage with kids maybe they wouldn't otherwise have done? And so I don't think we're fully all the way there, but I think that there's opportunities that emerge within this ecosystem. And I also think it's important that we don't lose sight of those organizations that might be being left behind, right. that are less resourced than ever before, that are harder to get volunteer coaches than ever before. How do we also make sure that we have a, a broader perspective, more strategically, about um, every aspect of the ecosystem? Because at the end of the day, I think, uh, I think the sports experience is, is a really important one for every kid to have. And it's not about being nostalgic for the past. I think it's about helping it evolve for the future, but ensuring that every kid has access to the right experiences. Uh, and, and, and I think what, what your organization does that's so impressive is how PCA is really trying to build the capacity up of all of these actors yeah. um, in order to deliver that experience. Let's take a quick break to hear from our presenting sponsor. Thanks to Tapivo for being a great supporter of PCA in this podcast. Remember to learn more about Tapivo. Check them out at tapivo.com. Also, make sure you listen to the previous episode of this podcast with Tapivo co-founder and U.S. soccer legend Brian McBride. And now back to our conversation with Jeremy Goldberg. The, web, the league website is really like the first thing people see a lot of times. And so just talk about the importance of how that plays into the overall culture of, right. and, and what or, league or, organizers should be focusing on to say, hey, here's how we can showcase what a great organization we are and this not just be a platform that is collecting registrations and doing transactions. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of different aspects to um, the, the, the challenges that anyone who's running a sports organization, it could be a league or a club, team or travel program or a tournament, um, camp or clinic. And, and, and so one is, I think, it starts with the be, being able to tell your story. And if you, if you re- think about it, there is a proliferation. There's almost 100,000 kind of youth sports organizations in this country, certainly that we've identified. And so how do, you, how do you help parents make the right kind of choices? How do you yeah. navigate that? And so one of the ways to do that is to, to, to effectively showcase what it is that you're about, what makes you different, what's your value proposition. So the website is certainly a starting point of that story as people discover you. But I also think it's important to recognize that most people, I, I think it's great to have an important, a, a great design website, but we also see that more, almost 60% of visits now that are happening when a parent's intending to register for a program is happening from a mobile device or a tablet. So what is the mobile experience right. that parents are interacting with um, that's mobile optimized that accounts for the fact that that's where they may be? 
And um, that mobile experience has to that transform your website to tell the mobile story that's, that has to be harder hitting in a different format than maybe the, the core website you have that, that people might be going to in a different yeah. environment. So, so I do think that there's a storytelling part of it. I think one of the things we've also got into now is uh, creating um, custom uh, or basically branded apps and mm-hmm. the, 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 the specific brand of organizations because I think that's part of it. If you think about it, um, you have a Starbucks app on right. your phone where yeah. now you can even order in advance, which is a pretty right. convenient thing. Um, you have and For an airline, if you're flying home today, you might have an app for United to fly home right. to Chicago. So you have these brands that play roles in your life that you're, you identify with. Well, that's true of the sports organization as well. And so the ability to create uh, specific branded apps for organization is another part of that storytelling um, for those that are in the organization. So that, that's the first part. The second thing is I think you have to confront, all right, I'm running this organization. Um, I didn't get into this business because I wanted to collect registrations and payments and deal with communications and parents. I got into it because I love the game, but yet I'm spending the majority of my time figuring out how to execute these events, which, yeah. are, which are hard, right? And so one of the ways to be able to do that is how does technology create as much automation and intelligence around that process? So you're freeing up the organization and those in it to do the things that they add the most value at. Um, and I think we're gonna, we, we live in a world where more and more of that automation is possible. So whether that's the way you're collecting payment plans, the way they're communicating around schedules or changes, I think we really thought about it, like how do we build a platform by organizers, for organizers, mm-hmm. that understand all the little nuances that can save minutes and in some cases hours, in some cases days for tasks. Even as simple as like, I've got to order uniforms, how do I tabulate all the sizes? Well, that could be a task that could take an entire day in massive right. spreadsheets. Uh, we've, I think, cut that down to it's like a three or four second, it's a click, yeah. right? And then all of a sudden you have that information at your fingertips. So I think there's this operational capacity building that I think we try to deliver with our platform. And then the third is I think, okay, how do I, um, uh, you know, I, I have this constituency. I have parents that are effectively my customers mm-hmm. and as well as the participants that are in the programs as well and my coaches that are critical. So what are the ways that I'm really communicating with them, how they want to be communicated with on email and on text and um, push notifications, whatever it may be. And what's critical there is there's a paradox because in any other business or any other industry, the customer is the one that you're focusing on serving the most. In this case, the parents are the customer. They're also usually the biggest challenge that any organization has. So if you don't like the people that you're serving, it's a really interesting challenge as an organization. So I think technology and what we try to do as our platform is actually make it really easy for them to deliver and meet the expectations for parents that are higher than ever before. Not just what happens on the field, but also their interactions with technology. And then last but not least, I think it's really a question of how does a platform unlock growth and innovation? Because as, I, as we were talking about, youth sports is changing rapidly. Right. And if that's the case, what are all the other tools that they might need? What are the ways in which they can, they can facilitate growth and, and market their organization leveraging social media? Uh, what are the ways that they can um, capture the opportunities to sell additional products or um, uh, required items as, as part of the way that they're uh, operating their organization? So we really build that capacity to be a flexible platform to, to leverage the best tools as well as build kind of the, the key capabilities to enable that as well, that kind of growth. So between branding and operations and uh, the parent and player experience and this idea of growth and innovation, we really try to build a platform that can enable all of that uh, and then really work within a broader kind of technology ecosystem to give uh, organizations the, the ability to use whatever they need to do to, to, to deliver the experience that they want to deliver. Yeah. I, I love what you said about just how, you know, with automation and other things, it frees up people to really focus on. And I think that's what we want to do. I mean, that's yeah. part of the thing that when PCA, does, when we work with organizations, we're like, hopefully when we work with you, you're not going to have to deal with a lot of issues or things that are coming up and you can focus on, you know, the experience yep. and you're not dealing with, you know, every week parents or, you know, issues with coaches or whatever it might be. Um, so, I, so I like the way that, that you guys have framed it or you framed it in just of, hey, how can we 
make this as easy as possible to make sure that we're spending on spending time in right. the right place. One thing, what I love about PCA, one, some of the things that you do around recognition, yeah. right? I think it's because too often the people that are running these organizations, the coaches in them, are very undervalued, mm-hmm. right? Especially yeah. those that are doing the right thing. And I think that the, the you know, you'll, they'll hear every time when things go wrong. Right. But how often will a parent come by and say, thank you for running the game on time. <laughs> right. This was great. And getting the emails out on time. Yeah. And for me to have all the information and uniforms on time. They usually don't, you don't hear the positive, but you often hear the negative. Yeah. And I, but I think that the, the, biggest, the biggest cause of being undervalued is how they undervalue themselves. And so they'll do things believing that this is what they need to do to be successful without recognizing the, the, the opportunity cost of their time. And then if they actually sat down and realized what else they could be doing with that time, if they had the right system or the right resources to allow them to do those other tasks, um, they're missing an opportunity to actually get back to even further what they love. And so I think to us it's a lot about that value that, that they need to, to understand about themselves and how we can help unlock that because they're really unsung heroes for what it takes to actually make youth sports happen every single day. And so I think, I know you do a great job celebrating them, and I think that's, that's the heart of kind of our organizational culture as well. Yeah, and it's a great segue because we've been talking a lot about it external and things that League Apps does, but what I love about your company is the internal culture that you have within your um, company and, and with your employees. Um, you know, we can talk about your, you know, your OTAs and just how you recognize employees. But you know, where did it start? Where did the idea, or not the idea, but how do you, you know, we talk about culture and the way we do things here. Um, but how did that all start? You know, at League Apps, and what was the vision of? Hey, we want to make sure that our internal culture is this. Yeah, it's you know, it, it, the interesting experience that I had that I think was formative, and I'm fortunate enough to have a business partner who shared that was. Uh, I, League Apps actually emerged from a venture development studio called Two and Two Media uh, that I'm also a partner at. And when I was at Two and Two Media, um, uh, League Apps was just kind of emerging, actually, out of the uh, out of, out of a, ver- a different kind of company that was focused on sports. Um, and all four companies were in the same office space, and each of them had five or ten employees. One company was a little bit larger. And I went out to Silicon Valley. I was invited to an interesting meeting of, of kind of entrepreneurs, or actually international entrepreneurs that spent two days out in Silicon Valley with some of the world's greatest entrepreneurs. We're talking to people like Reid Hoffman, who helped uh, found PayPal and, and founded LinkedIn, and, uh, one of the first investors in, um, in, uh, in uh, Facebook and Zynga. And then you had Ben Gordon, who founded EA Sports, and Amit Kurdistani, the business founder of Google, and top venture capitalists. And you're spending time with people that have built some of the most incredible, iconic companies, the, the Googles and the Facebooks and the, the LinkedIns of the world. And when I, you ask those companies, what was the ingredient for how those companies became great? Uh, all of them came back to culture. It all came back to the culture because that culture helped them attract the best talent, retain the best talent, and create the great best environment for that talent to help to deliver on the promise of the business. And when I asked each of those entrepreneurs as we spent time together, what was the lessons they had to impart? They simply said, listen, we can't be prescriptive. Every culture for each organization is different, except we can say pay attention to it and pay attention to it early. Yeah. And so I went back, and at the time, League Apps was a four- or five-person company, and, um, and Brian and I, I think, said very early on, saying, let's define who we are, what our values are. Rather than think about us as like Moses coming down you know, with the Ten Commandments from the mountaintop saying, this is what we're going to be, we actually started just to look about what culture was already emerging based on the people we had attracted to the business. Um, what our investors would say about us, what our customers would say about us, um, what we would just, how we would describe the most successful person at League Apps and why. And what we saw is a commonality in a lot of the attributes there, and we gave voice to that. That's actually now there's an acronym, Sports Dog, and, and it's, sports, it's sportsmanship, it's passion, it's openness, it's results, it's team, it's student of the game, it's difference maker, it's um, kind of uh, own your role, and it's grit. 
Uh, and those values emerged over time. We actually figured out how it spelled something after the fact. It was like a 2 a.m. thing that now has gone on. Uh, and what we try to do is say, okay, if this is what we stand for, then how do we make sure that anyone who's coming into this business, we're interviewing based on those values, right? We're looking for the evidence that those values have been present in their lives and that those are things that they can uphold. Um, we train people against that when they first mm-hmm. start. We recognize people in the company every week. People give shout-outs at our weekly team uh, uh, meetings um, where the entire company at that, that all hands, uh, somebody can say, hey, so-and-so was a great example of being a team or so-and-so was a great example of being a difference maker. Uh, we have our off-sites, off we call them OTAs, uh, where we have an award ceremony once a year where people who really upheld those values are the ones that are recognized and that we have championship banners in the rafters of our office yeah. that really highlight the people that best embody that value over the course of the year. And to us, that's one example. And I think if you, if you learn from the Bill Belichicks and the Mike Coach Ks and all these people right. around the world, I think you realize that if you understand and commit to these values and you figure out creative ways to put them front and center, um, then um, I think it's one of the ways to create alignment internally that allows you to have people that are all moving in the same direction. And I, what I love about this is that I can see this in the best uh, customers that we work with, where they have really clear statements about what they're about and their mission and their values. And they, they, as they grow and they scale, they think a lot about how they identify and train coaches um, and set expectations for parents within that culture. Uh, and that's why they're successful. So I believe firmly that the, the, the attention one pays to culture uh, is so critical to the success of any growth, uh, growing organization. So that's, that's why we've committed to it. What are, um, you know, what are some other, how often do you look at and evaluate your culture? I mean, just from a leadership standpoint, you know, yeah. like... It, the things that you mentioned are great, and I've been in your offices. I love the you know banners and the raptors. Sure. It's, it fits you, you know, it fits so well right. for what you're doing. But how often are you taking a step back and saying, are we, you know, walking the walk of what we, you know, sports log and those types of things? Yeah, I, th- I think what ends up happening is, you, as a company, there's natural inflection points where the values don't change, but the manifestation of those values do. So I think what one of the things we realized as we went from initially a 25 person company, not initially, but when we got to a 25 person company and became a 50 person company. All of a sudden, if people were around my partner and I and we were in the same room and they're interacting with us every day, um, there's ways in which we can model that, those values in a specific way. Well, all of a sudden, when you're a 50-person company, you're having less contact. They're, they're, you're working with less people. There are more people in between. So then other people are having to serve kind of as ambassadors. And as now we're a 75-person company growing to over a 100-person company, um, it's going to change again, right? What are the ways that we're communicating differently um, because our interactions with, with team members look a little bit different too? I also think you ask questions of like, well, does everyone understand, is the way we apply these values different? So we've used, for example, our last um, OTAs uh, in January where um, we did an activity where um, people within the team helped really think about what were the, the ways that they would define those values. How were those values being lived up to? And what were other ways to manifest that, those values at the company? And so it becomes a chance to step back, usually every six months, and really look at some aspect of our culture and say, what, are there ways that we can live up back, uh, better, better to it? Can we define it a little bit more mm-hmm. clearly? Can we come up with activities that help us manifest that a little bit differently? Um, is there a value that's missing? So own your role, this idea of ownership, was something that emerged um, over the past year. And I think we realized that uh, we wanted to create more of a sense of ownership within the company, and, 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 and elevating a new value is another way of doing that as well. So I think this six, every six months stepping back has been a rhythm that's allowed us to um, really access more strategically and structurally if there's things that we can do a little bit different on the culture side. And what would your advice to be, be to you know, a Little League president that is trying to create the culture, you know, a little, uh, you know, your run-of-the-mill little league that is, you know, okay, we're starting in January with registration right. and we're done by July and then, you know, we might have new people coming in, there might be turnover on the board. You know, what are some things that a, a local youth sports organization 
uh, leader can you know do around culture? So I, I would say a few things. The first is define what your values are, mm-hmm. right? And I think you want to think about that if it's an organization that's been around for a while. Who are the other people you pull into that process? Yeah. And what is the way that you guys, you, you as, a, as an organization can create a common language about, hey, this is, this is what matters to us, right? This is how we're going to make decisions. These are the values by which we're going to filter everything. And the second thing is, is then make sure, how are you putting those values into practice? Well, the best way you can do that is, is this, uh, are we using this as a filter to determine who's on our board? Um, what volunteer coaches are part of our program. Um, for that matter, what parents do we allow to sign up for our program? Yeah, yeah. And so you actually have to be willing to evaluate people against those things as well. Uh, and, and then the third part is, is, okay, now we have people attached to the organization that subscribe to these things. What are the ways that we're constantly putting this culture in front of people? And that could be on your website. Mm-hmm. That could be on a banner that you bring to the field. Um, that could be in an email after the game where you want to recognize particular parents and coaches, referees, or umpires in this case, or um, and, and even kids who are great exemplars of that value. Um, how you tie that into your award ceremony. Um, one of the person, one of the things I, I think uh, I think one of our investors, Shane Batty, said is if they're not making fun of you, you're not saying often enough, right? right. Yeah. So it's got to be the point way. where yeah. um, you're, you're repeating this over and over again. And I think. Uh, you know, there's a reason why Bill Belichick and Jason Garrett, as a cowboy fan of me, comes out. Um, not to necessarily put them in the same right, camp, right. but uh, but why you hear them say the same things over and over again in their press conferences and yeah. to their team, right? And I think part of that is is what is the things that you you stand for, and what are the ways you're constantly putting that in front of it, and and then also recognizing that if you're a little league president, how do your coaches? Um, and how are, are your board members speaking and living up to that at all times, right? Are there little business cards you can print on Vistic Print for free? You can hand people out and say, hey, this is, this is what we stand for. Um, so that, I think, is, is the way you manifest it. And, and again, I think one of the things that PCA does is, is provides a lot of tool, uh, tools and ways of thinking what it is that you should stand for. And also what's unique about your organization that, um, that you want to highlight. That's great. And I think that will be really helpful for um, you know, so many of PCA's partners or coaches, organizational leaders listening to this about ways they can they can implement that yeah. locally. One, one last thing I'll say yeah. is I believe strongly is, is where are the other places that you can look for inspiration? Mm-hmm. And I see this in, in some of the most entrepreneurial organizations that we're part of, but I don't think looking just at youth sports for inspiration uh, is, is the answer. I think yeah. that what's great is there's so many um, if different organizations in every community that I think you can look at and say, you know, I remember going into a Lululemon with my wife and she was going shopping and I was bored out of my mind. But then I wandered over and they had this wall that had those value statements and then yeah. employees that were being recognized and then written on a chalkboard in the, in the, in the store and I was so compelled by it. Yeah. And so I was like, oh wow, like here's this moment for me to understand how this other company operates. And so I think looking for sources of inspiration, that could be podcasts, that could be blogs, um, that could be articles, that could just be companies in your area that you're like, wow, every time I come in here I feel something. I know mm-hmm. what these, this, com- this organization stands for. Uh, be it a restaurant, be it a small business. Um, what are they doing right? And, and how can I apply that practice um, to uh, my organization? That's great. And I feel like League Apps is one of those companies when I walk in, that's what I... That's what I see. We try, and I think yeah. you know we're, we, we've drawn inspiration. One of the things that we've done, which has been fun, is we've studied great teams, yeah. uh, mostly in the context of sports, and then we'll tell a story about those teams. So you know, the Spurs are an amazing organization to study. Right. We're fortunate to have David Robinson as an investor. But we actually had to study the Spurs as a team for yeah. two years prior to actually having that opportunity for him to, to join on. Uh, we've studied with the UConn women's basketball team. And most people are like, well, they just get the best players. That's actually not true when you actually yeah. study it. But how do they actually win 
with, with sustained greatness every time. Uh, looking at the miracle and ice 1980 Olympic team. Looking at Leicester City and how they had created one of the greatest sports upset ever to win the yeah. Premier uh, League um, uh, title. So uh, that to me is, I think, great. And, and we, again, we study these, these great programs uh, and say, so what, what can we learn from it? And uh, it's fun as a, as a team to kind of uh, digest those lessons. So we're going to wrap up here with um, ending all podcasts with five questions. So quick hitters, yep. short answers. Um, we heard a little bit about your um, sports experience growing up. Prowess, I believe, but, is the word you're looking for. <laughs> what is the greatest sports playing accomplishment in Jeremy Goldberg's life? I'm going to have two. One was a triple play, unassisted nice. in T-ball. Okay. Um, T-ball. Like, I'm not exactly sure in that four to five year age range, but it was I was a member as a dominant performance. Then people had high hopes. I think the rankings, right. I was highly ranked after that. And most uh, T-ball leagues, exactly. just like everybody bats and like, you know, yeah. there's no outs. So and then the second is as a middle linebacker leading my flag football intramural team at Georgetown to championship. We'd won the intramural wiffle ball championship. So then in a, being a multi-sport athlete like Bo Jackson, <laughs> wiffle ball and flag football, um, that's something I'm really proud of. You were you were the Bo Jackson exactly. of Georgetown, right? I believe that was exactly. your nickname. That's people refer to me as such. <laughs> what is uh, you talked about gaining insight from other spots? So, question number two: What's a last book you read or a book recommendation? Yeah, well, one uh, one book I recently read is uh, Marshall Goldsmith. What got you here won't get you there, uh, and it's a really interesting look at. Um, what it takes to get to a certain stage within your career or within a business and recognizing that the same attributes you had or skills you had there, you have to actually unlearn and take a different approach in the next stage. So a mentor recommended that to me. Okay. Uh, that's great. And I think feel like, you know, PCA or any organization where as they're continuing to grow, right. it's always a good time to, uh, you know, take a step back and try to evaluate that. Uh, what's the most important characteristic of a great leader? I think, um, I believe it's empathy. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, you know, I believe very much in like a servant model of leadership where you're trying to lift up those that work for you. And so I think, how do you really understand them? And if you understand who they are and what made them, then I, I think you can push people in a way that helps them actualize what it is that they want for themselves. I think if you look at Greg Popovich, who I think is one yeah. of the most incredible coaches, he uses the term love when he talks about the people that, that, that plan his teams and the people that work around him. I think he truly understands them um, and, and loves them and as a result is able to push them to be the best versions of themselves. And I think that's how you ultimately get the most out of people and, and create a winning organization. Great. Uh, number four, in five years, this youth sports landscape will be? Um, professionalized. And uh, I think it's, hopefully it's professionalized in a way uh, that uh, every kid has access to the right experience, um, but that you know, every, every industry as it emerges, will, you have continuing education requirements, and you have standards, and you have expectations, and you have, um, you know, I think, the roles that professional leagues and teams and enterprise organizations and critical nonprofits, and hopefully, I, I believe, a platform like ours that can create that infrastructure for that, that future industry. But I, I believe it will be professionalized. And last question, you're on the Power of Positive podcast. So when you think of the Power of Positive what do you think about? I think about my mom. Yeah. I think about my mom who's had cancer now for 21 years. She was given five years to live. Mm. Uh, she's had 86 bouts of chemo. Wow. Um, you would not know it if you talked to her. Uh, and she has an incredible disposition where she's always believed that uh, she would bring a positive approach to, to everything, including her, her battle. Uh, and, uh, and that's inspired me and, and everyone that knows her. Yeah. Well, that's a, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that um, shows in uh, what you do and how you... Um, how you engage with people and how you uh, run league apps and how you're uh, uh, a really important part of the overall 
esports ecosystem. Well, and I'll, and I'll just say that that one of the things that's I think most gratifying for me is the ability to align ourselves with uh, incredible organizations to us that share a kind of a mission yeah. uh, and a commitment to really shaping youth sports in the right way. So being working with the Positive Coaching Alliance yeah. um, and all the different ways that we've been able to collaborate and will collaborate in the future uh, is one of, the, one of the joys of the job. So I can't recommend what you all do enough and uh, eager to figure out how we can be even more helpful. Great. Uh, Jeremy Goldberg, president of League Apps. People want to find out more information on League Apps. Where are they going? Go to leagueapps.com. Uh, you can also find, we have, a, I think, a great blog that, that t- talks about a lot of the, the topics that I talked about here. You can also find us on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, and so say hello at League Apps. Great. Jeremy, thanks so much. Thank you.